Hey everybody, Con Otters here, and uh, we're here with the summer 2018 review of the various shows that we watched outside of the rolling review this time, um, going over what the individual Con Artists were following, and what we enjoyed, what we disliked, and what we found was kind of in the middle. Uh, so why don't we start it off with a sports anime, something that we don't tend to follow very often. Uh, Sue, I think you were the one who followed Hanabato, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I made it through this show. So Hanabato was actually on the docket for a maybe as, as one of our rolling review choices. And I was really excited yeah, by did. this. We almost did it. it. It had a great first episode. Mm. I think we all agreed on that. It um, does look real good. Wow. The first episode. Wow. And and I mean, the sad part is I was attracted to it primarily because how often do I get to see young women in a sport? You know, that's that's pretty rare nowadays. With the occasion of maybe like two baseball shows from the 90s and early 2000s. Right. Wait, what about that? What about that beach volleyball show? I'm sure it was all sports. I'm sure. Oh, man. One hundred and eighty percent. Okay, so so Hanabato. Uh, is about young women in a badminton team. Now, I have, have a really funny connection to this. That was the other piece besides actual women playing a sport that drew me to it. When I was in high school, we actually had a badminton rotation as part of gym class. And badminton, like, I think everybody thinks of it as, like, that ye old, like, floof-floof sport that British women played in gigantic hoop skirts and stuff hmm. on a lawn and like gently flick the birdie back and forth. And like my friends and I played extreme badminton. We were just like, wherever the birdie goes, chase after it and hit it. So watching people play like this really extreme version of badminton, real badminton, I should say, was very exciting. So I was like, yes, this is going to be my show. Oh, guys, this was not good. The show was very, oh. very not good. Like episode one. It was just the high point, and it all just started tumbling out of control from there. So just just really quick, some of the points. The the show sort of does a bait and switch. It it starts you off with this lead character, Nagisa, who like, you know, she's got sort of a mannish personality and a look to her, and, and her struggle was supposed to be, well, I'm really angry because I lost to this like prodigy girl when we were in middle school, and I'm super bitter about it, and I want to be great, but I don't have like natural talent. So it was going to be... This idea of natural talent versus earned talent. And I was like, oh, okay, I can get behind this. It's a classic yeah. sports struggle. Seems like, yeah, a, no. seems like a, a fine arc. Very no. So the, the, the girl that defeated her, uh, her name is Ayano in middle school, comes back and joins the badminton club. And it the entire show just swivels instantaneously to being about her. It turns out that she has childhood trauma. She lost a badminton match at one point in time. Her mom is a famous badminton player and her mom just walked out on her. Like, right there. She had a fever. She was laying in bed and her mother walks out of the room and is gone for, like, four years. Never calls, never writes, just abandons her. Because she lost one game. Because she lost one game, so... That was the point that I stopped watching this show. Well, it's, it's, it's just horrible. So... They, anyway, they introduced this concept, and Dan, you didn't get to see it to the finale, but you would have you would have broken your computer as to the reasoning they give behind this woman abandoning her child. So, uh, the the idea of childhood trauma, I'll just harp on it. I mean, they they set that idea up and never actually touch upon it. And the reason they give behind why this happens is just it's just sick. 
It really is. And not only does this woman traumatize her own daughter, she traumatizes a small girl from the Netherlands who she ends up just going to, I guess, when she left Diano and just picking this girl up off the street or something. She's like, you, you look tall and good at badminton. Just picks her up, adopts her as her adopted daughter, and then abandons her, too, to come back to Japan to check on Ayano. So there's a simultaneous abandonment issue these two young women face, and the show never finishes that arc. It just leaves these two young girls going... The principal arc? It's sick. Like, this other girl, Connie, at one point, they have this match, Ayano and Connie, and Connie is like... I want you to be part of my family because I've never known what it's like to have family. And Ayano is in this, like, she goes into this Terminator mode when she plays badminton. And she's just like, no, we'll never be family. I hate you and I hate mom. And, like, hyper trauma kicks in. The point is the show never really addresses this properly. It treats it like something that uh, just goes away when you duke it out on the badminton court. Like, it's, it's just sick. It really is. So that was like the number one biggest problem with the show. Uh, it really doesn't focus on the sport. That that beautiful camera work and rotoscoping from episode one kind of drops out midway through the show. It's It's... You know, the worst possible sports offense, it's just still shots of oh. girls, like, diving at the birdie, like, uh, with oh, a squishy background. On. And I was like, guys, come on. Like, you had the chops to do this, and until the very last uh, tournament game, the, the animation is so-so. Sometimes it's good, but many times it just breaks into that still shot nonsense. Um, and every single girl has this, like, killer killer melodrama surrounding them and the reason they play badminton it's like i play badminton until my right badminton i play badminton until my hands bled and i had to use my bloody hands to wrap my racket like that happens at one point or like so i started joking every time i'd go to watch it i was like honey i'm I'm gonna just gonna call the show badminton killed my mom (laughs) like like, i'm gonna go watch badminton killed my mom and uh, my, my husband calls it habanero just to make me laugh. He's like, it's like, yeah. So he tried to make me laugh and I just decided that this was like the Shawshank Redemption, the, the show. So don't watch the show. It was very long winded. It, it really, it doesn't hinge on its sport. It never really explains the sport properly. It, it just breaks into tournament way too fast, I guess, because it almost feels scared of focusing its plot on badminton. And it just gives these girls such ridiculous, ridiculously tragic backstories it it pokes its head into trauma and abandonment issues and just throws them clean out the window later on uh do not watch the show uh it's it's not good it's it's a real tragedy that it had no idea what it was doing yeah we uh we dodged a bullet on that one we really did. I mean, we might have had an interesting discussion later That's on because I mean, seething rage could have could have come out, but yeah, this was not not a good one. And I get enough you guys of that in the rest of my life. It. Yeah, exactly. You don't need any more of that. You don't need badminton to kill your mom. Mm. Yeah, I don't need badminton to kill my mom. <laughs> no, you don't. So, moving on from that, uh, there's another show that I think more of us followed, um, which was Cells at Work, and uh, yeah, yep, yep. This show was something of, uh, I guess you can call it edutainment. It's That's probably roughly where it sits, yeah. I only watched a couple episodes, but it did seem like they really did their homework on how the body works and the terms and stuff. It wasn't all just used superficially, right? I called it the, um, 
the magic school bus with violence. Oh, like, yeah. That's... <laughs> the rated oh, yeah. R magic school bus. That's not a bad way of describing it. I mean, it's basically the episodic adventures of a bunch of anthropomorphic cells within the human body as they deal with the ridiculous illnesses, injuries, allergies, and other, like, daily struggles that whoever the poor schmo they inhabit is going through. And Yeah, which is yeah. kind of neat because, like, you know, I mean, obviously this, this whoever the, the human is has been, like, he gets sick real often for the purposes of this show, but uh, it is interesting seeing how everything reacts. Uh, you know, they, they definitely did their homework. Like sometimes there'll actually be so much stuff they have to explain. They just sort of have a like the narrator talk for like two or three minutes while they show scenes happening in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, there's a lot of concepts we got to get across for why this is happening. So let's just talk for a bit. Yeah, and I mean, you do learn some stuff about it. Like, I definitely didn't know how specialized cells got, and I all I was especially not aware of just how in depth and specialized the human immune system gets. Like, there are yeah, wow, there's so many friggin' things. You're like, oh yeah, it's just white blood cells. No, it ain't. No, there's like killer T cells. There's other there's other things like the oh, what is it? Menocytes. Oh, macrophages. Macrophages and, and stuff, and then there was like. Yeah, like the regular white blood cells, the neutrophils, which is like, I guess the regular ones. I, I can't remember her name, but like the girl with the spear that takes out parasites, that's like 2% of the white blood cells or yeah, like has a specialized role. The commander T cell that tells the other what to do. The dendrites that tells the killer T cells how to fight specific invasion. I don't know. It's all very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. And I also got to say that um, I think that most of the character designs for the different types of cells were kind of neat. I mean, they were... I guess pretty low key. They didn't try to give everyone like some kind of crazy outfit for the most part. Like the white blood cells are dressed in like, you know, they and the killer T cells basically look like cops or like military types. Uh, and the uh, red blood cells, which are, you know, the main character is one of them. And they're more or less like couriers. They run around carrying, you know, nutrients and oxygen and all this other stuff. And they dress like it. They got a nice little uniform. And then all of the other cells have their own particular look, you know, like uh officers uniforms for like the the ones directing the whole thing the helper cells and various other nonsense like that and it's kind of cool you have the macrophages with their like big flowy dresses yeah because that's the kind of that's sort of uh similar to the big kind of billowiness of the cells themselves it's kind of neat um, but I will say that, uh, you know, as fun as it was, it was definitely a fun little show. It got pretty predictable after a while. Red blood cells get lost, immune cells have to save them use, against whatever, like, current invasion there is. You know, whoever's body that they're inhabiting goes through some kind of incredible trauma. Um, but that being said, I never really had a problem with it. It was just something I could kind of turn on and watch and unwind with. I never had to think too hard about it and occasionally learn something fun. Yeah. Also, like, I think as Sue mentioned, like, it was weirdly violent. Oh, yeah. Like, only for the germs, mind you. Like, none of the none of the cells ever get, like, killed in a gory way. But boy, when, when some germs show up, they just slice them in half. And it's like, you know, the classic anime gallons of blood under high pressure, like, sprays from everywhere. For a show about blood, there was a lot of blood. <laughs> there was a lot of blood, but it all pretty much came out of the germs. who were, And who were all, like, stereotypical, sneering Saturday morning cartoon villains, which was kind of their shtick yeah and then the white blood cells show up and are just these like you see them and they are just these hollowed these hollow-eyed psychopaths <laughs> like die germ just cut. like these one one cut just cuts them in half so I guess there was a bunch violent. of like a bunch of like normal schmo cells got infected by viruses and had to be taken down but uh yeah that was that's about, true 
the extent of uh, like self-inflicted damage. Or and then you get to the cancer cells. I was about to say, can you guys talk about episode seven quick? So I dropped the show pretty early, and uh, ANN actually did a special on that episode because it was like honored in Japan or something. Because it it was apparently a really impressive episode, but it's about yeah, cancer. It was, yes, it's 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 different than the so like most of the time an invasion shows up from outside and they have to fight it off or whatever. And like I said, sort of cartoon villainy. Uh, so cancer cells, of course, are created by the body itself when it screws up replicating a cell and that grows out of control. And that was replicated here by having basically like they had people that you know cells that looked normal, which are like the little normal schmo cells. Uh, that had some kind of, you know, mutation they were hiding where they were going to destroy the body. And it was sort of tragic because they were, they're part of the population of the body, but they have to be taken down. So they weren't, you know, they weren't as cartoonishly evil as usual. Um, the whole thing was sort of handled tragically, which, which was different, interesting, it was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, definitely the most serious section of the entire show. I'll say this though, like, uh, yeah, once they actually get to fighting the the primary cancer cell, uh, who goes, he has like a lot of Akira esque, I want to say, like, like just you know, super arms and like, body horror things and coming out everywhere. Like, yeah, yeah, body horror kind of stuff like that. They uh, they had the opportunity to also reference the orbital laser cannon from Akira, and they let it slip. Oh, no, no, like, uh, you know radiotherapy happened to my minor uh, That's true. They were going for sort of like, uh, you know, on an average day, the body, like cancer cells are created all the time and the body kills them off. And that was sort of what we were dealing with here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I said, interesting show. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great show, but it was fun. No, it was, it was informative. Mm-hmm. What comes up next? Uh, I'll take it with the season three special, special, special. Um... All right, so season three of Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia dropped, so I'll just be discussing those really quick. For those of you who are used to the human-eating, hookshot, flying, omni-gear, holy crap action of Attack on Titan, this was a very quiet season. Actually, the entire thing was about the humans inside the walls. Uh, they they're staging a coup. There's all sorts of political plays going on. I was I was really intrigued by just just how quiet and how poignant this one was. Uh, I will say that you can really tell that it's uh, this guy's first time writing a manga, not that I myself have ever written anything like it, and, and this is a little hypocritical, but he, he does, the author just, some of these reveals are really ham-handed, because he just needs them to get out. So it's like, ah, we need this event to happen here. So just, like, force-feed a bunch of other actions that that get you to where you want to go. But overall, it was interesting. They introduced some new characters, which I think shed light on some of the other characters, like a Levi, who didn't have a whole lot of backstory to begin with. So we understand his backstory, and um, we get more backstory on one of the other characters, who I won't reveal so it's it's a pretty good season. I just think uh, it's one of those seasons that you kind of needed to get through. Like, I don't know that I'd ever sit through it again type of type of thing. Though I don't know that I'd ever sit through Attack on Titan again, period. So Fair that's enough. a 
It's an odd statement. Anyway, it's it's okay. It just it's a lot of talking, a lot of people time, and something very different. But I do think something the show needed to ground you in these people and make you care. Uh, the other thing is moving forward, Attack on Titan, I think, now has its core cast. So I think the body count's going to go down from here on out because any other characters they kill are going to be very genuinely tragic. I think you're pretty attached to these people now. So uh, here's to looking forward to season four whenever that comes out. My Hero Academia, on the other hand, went full full throttle shonen. Uh, this one was all of the heroes attempting to get their license. And it was just very episodic, very draggy. Uh, they, they really took that whole darn time just trying to get their license and, you know, typical, typical normal you know, behavior from these characters. Nothing really changes. Uh, the show in general, I think, is a little step above any other shonen, just because I think its world is so interestingly realized. Uh, in in the licensing exam, what the kids have to do is they have this you know gigantic stage because apparently in My Hero Academia these schools have you know enough money to rival unlimited the planet. Unlimited money, right? Unlimited money. We're talking like you know Tomoyo Daidoji amount of money <laughs> here, and. Uh, so they have this gigantic arena and all the heroes need to run around saving people. They have these people that are like laying there and they're they're in a disaster. And they run up to these people and they're like, oh my gosh, let me pick you up and take you out. And the person sits up and then screams at them and goes, oh my gosh, you're, I'm deducting points right now. And they're like, wait, what? And these people who are laying there as disaster victims, they're actually part of this company that provides victims for hero training because the whole world has like heroes and schools for heroes so these people are actually trained in disaster training as professional victims yes they're subcontracted as professional victims and so they'll sit up actors Yes, they'll yell at the kids and they'll be like, hello, I'm bleeding from the head. You were supposed to check my wound first before you attempted to move me because I'm actually in a safe space and nothing's going to fall on me. Why didn't you do that? I'm not breathing properly. Why didn't you check that? Like, they know all the different procedures that someone's supposed to go through in disaster training. So I, I really loved that little piece of world building where you've you've thought through, hey, I stuck this element into the world, like kids have superpowers and they're superheroes, and I really thought about how the world changes when I do that. Hmm. Uh, so so I like that about about MHA. Uh, that's that's Otherwise really it sounds kind of like fillery time making some money season. It did feel like the fillery season. I think we we got some background on the one kid who's really angry all the time. Like he actually sort of displays remorse and regret for an action that happened in uh season No, this season. Yeah, so so something happens earlier in the season and then uh it's he feels like it's his fault, so he's carrying around all this guilt and he's the character that's the rival to the main character. His name is Bakugo and he's always yelling at the main character all the time like his voice actor must go home and just, like, eat the Ricola and stuff. <laughs> just the, mainline the iced tea for the next hour. So much honey. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, I need the ginseng, pass it. So he just, like, he's always yelling. That's his whole character thing. He's just angry all the time because he wants to be number one. And to have him display, like, more regret and more just remorse for something really expanded his character a little bit. But, in, you know, in classic Shonen Fair, he reverts back to from whence he came. But, mm-hmm. you know, he has the ability to feel that emotion, so that was a nice, nice touch. Um, 
other than that, I'm a little nervous that lead character uh, Midoriya is becoming too Jesus-y, like a little too much god moding going on. He can like uh. predict he you know any situation. He's his ability to always get things right is a little much. Three seasons in, so I hope the show kind of gives him a new challenge. Who's that Arslan guy? He was the uh... <laughs> Narciss. Narciss. He's he's becoming Narciss. No. Yeah, he's, he's like Narciss, or he's like Kira Yamato from Gundam Seed. Just like these perfect, perfect people that are like, oh, I've, I figured this out. The villain's weakness is clearly this. Like, oh. Their right. only weakness is that they're too nice. Yeah. It, it, it's just silly yeah. um, for that. But, you know, you're, you're in there for a shonen. You're going to get the shonen stuff. However, it does elevate itself. The characters are a ton of fun. And I do enjoy watching the show. So well, that's cool. Obviously, hmm. if you were on this boat already, you're on this boat already. But both seasons, I think we needed to get through these seasons <laughs> for both of these shows. Ah, well, eh, at least they're at least they're still entertaining, if not. They're uh, still entertaining peak. and they both still look good. I will say season three of Attack on Titan episode it was either one or two displays the most amazing camera work I have seen in anime, I think, in just forever like i can't think of more amazing camera work right now nice wow they actually attach the camera to one of these guys who's like flying through the city spider-man style and holy cow the camera work that they do to get this guy to like swing and stop and move around corners and oh wow just incredible incredible art direction for for that show very good to hear so what comes up next uh uh, there's a couple of shows that I didn't finish watching. Oh. <laughs> um, really briefly on the one of them, I got, only got like three episodes deep in the uh, girls playing beach volleyball. <laughs> Me too, Brendan. I oh. made it to ep six and I was like, I'm tired of these lesbian antics. Gotta go. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you actually made it deeper than I did. <laughs> I tried so hard. But then when they fought each other about bathing suits, I lost it. Yeah, that's pretty much the I was like, I have to watch that, that one girl slap that other girl's ass that again. I am out of here. <laughs> wow. The show sounds um, like it was everything we thought it was. Classic. Little, little much on the Yuri bait right there. <laughs> like Just really much. quick, Brendan, do you remember? It was like episode, you must have made it to that one. Uh, they're, they're, the, the lead girl is talking to, uh, I think it's Narumi and her partner. So Narumi and... This girl's cousin, Kanata, they used to be beach volleyball partners, so they broke up for reasons, and she has a, Narumi has a new volleyball partner now, and she's, like, stoic and serious and stuff. So lead character Haruka goes up to this new girl, and this new girl's like, I don't really like that you're bringing Kanata back into beach volleyball because, you know... She's kind of like Narumi's ex, and if you bring her back into the game, Narumi might be tempted to get back with her. And Haruka actually looks at her and goes, we are still talking about beach volleyball, right? <laughs> I just laughed so hard. It was like the show knew what it was doing for that brief shining moment. I'm pretty sure that they knew exactly what they were doing from day one. Oh, man. So yeah, I, I dropped that one as well. Uh, uh, a show that I didn't drop but haven't finished yet because I'm watching it at my uh, friend's place and I don't get up there often enough is... um. We rent Tsukamogami, oh, yeah. which is a it's a period piece about uh, these 
two young people who own a rental shop, and several of the objects in the rental shop have acquired sentience. And they can speak, like, around the, uh, like, around the aisle. Yeah, I can speak from around the aisle from, like, the, uh, the main characters or the actual human characters who, you know, are at the desk, and they can overhear each other. <laughs> uh, but they, there's some, there's some thing that prevents them from talking directly to each other. Uh, across like the boundary of human and object so there's a thing where they just uh a couple of times they've just had conversations with each other or uh to themselves sometimes to get somebody on the other side of that boundary to uh, realize something boy i sure wish someone would go investigate that mystery kind of yeah like (laughs) the very like slightly more detailed but that's the that's the general gist of the whole thing (laughs) An interesting way of making the communication work. Is it is it them getting to understand the objects like previous owners or regrets? Is it sort of like uh, there's like there's a little bit of backstory on the objects. Like the, of of the first six episodes, which is as far as I've gotten, they've like they've gone into most of the uh, the histories of the, their previous owners and how they came to be where they are, which has been pretty neat. And then, like usually, they'll uh, they'll meet up with a Tsukumagami uh, that belongs to somebody else over the course of an episode, and they'll share some interesting stuff about you know how they were raised up. Which I remember there was some some I want to say it was Soul Hunter. I remember I remember watching like the original Soul Hunter, uh, and uh, like two of the a couple of the enemies I want to say were. You know, objects that acquired sentience, and I'm looking up at the time. The myth was that if you spend like a hundred years, hmm. uh, you know, in somebody's care, or maybe just make it to a hundred years old, you can acquire a spirit or a soul or something like that. Uh, these ones, it doesn't seem like there's that hard timeline in place. It's as long as you're just cherished in the right way. Uh, and then, then like the whole, there's some sort of overplot going on with uh, the main girl, and there's a lot of like slow reveal of part of the backstory of the shop that I haven't gotten all the way through yet, which is, uh, they keep a pretty tight cast too. Like these, uh, they keep coming back to a bunch of the people that we've met in the first couple of episodes. Like there's a, a slow build there, which is, that's good on a, on account of like, just, uh, trying to keep track of people. And like I said, I'm still watching it. So I'm, I'm curious to see where exactly it goes and, uh, how it manages to get there. Although I will say, like in the most recent episode that I watched, like the the uh, Tsukumagami characters actually have this conversation. It's like, well, how are we going to like talk to the human characters about this? And I'm just thinking, like, you've done it before. Like, there's several episodes in the past that you've just like managed this without having to discuss it first. Yeah. Just yell really loud among yourselves. You can do it. Exactly. Exactly. Um. All right. What do we got next here? Last one, I think, is a show that, uh, Sue, I think, were you the one? Was it you or Brendan? I am so into this show. (laughs) I got you to watch it, Dan, after I watched the first episode a couple of weeks into this uh, season. I watched the PV and I was into this. But yeah, Brendan, so you got Dan to watch? Yes. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, it's, um, the stage of fate has, has risen. Uh, this is uh, Review Starlight. So I actually went into this show, just an aside, expecting this to be New Age Kaleidostar. I read the description and I was like, oh, okay, these two girls make a promise, childhood promise, Scott's favorite thing on earth, to 
Oh, it's my it's the best one. That's how all anime. Yes. <laughs> so you make a promise when you're two, and it lasts forever. Um, so they make and you both remember. Yes. It. It's good. Yes, and it's tragic. Usually. And you never move on from that, despite the fact that you were five when you made it. Yeah. No, it's it's forever, guys. <laughs> Pinky promise means yeah, forever. So anyway, these these two girls go to see this play called Starlight, and they tell themselves, uh, "We're we are going to be the leads of this play, Starlight." We are going to be Shiny Chariot. Yeah, we are going to be Shiny Chariot. And so they're super excited. Uh, and then uh, the her names are Karen and Hikari. And Hikari ends up moving away. Uh, she goes to some really fancy drama school in London and then mysteriously appears back one day. And uh, she's like, oh, I'm here now. Don't ask questions. And Hikari's like, oh my gosh. Or sorry, Karen is like, oh my gosh, Hikari, you're here. Let's be besties again. And Hikari's like, can't even make time for you. Get away from me. So she follows Hikari one fine day and Karen to London. Now. Karen falls down an elevator shaft. No, not to London. Not to London. They're not still to in London Japan at this point. So she falls down an elevator shaft and lands in a giant stage. Auditorium? Yeah, auditorium thing? stage. Like where a giraffe is conducting what's known as reviews and two girls are duking it out on the stage like hardcore actually, fighting actually for her going dueling. into a coma no 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 like, this does not end in her going into a coma and and <laughs> is that what's happening no here? they they're just duking it out on a stage you know with one with they have real weapons yeah with real weapons like a bow and arrow and this like little short sword and uh the the whole point is that they're fighting for something she doesn't know yet and it's called the review and karen inadvertently enters the review and it turns out it's this like utna style battle these girls go through to work through something either metaphorical or emotional and uh it's, it's definitely like utna light it's it steals ideas from utna this whole like surreal stage these girls are going to and stuff like that their entire sequences using this like whole mechanical like backstage you know pulleys and levers and like machines like creating their their uniforms and their weapons and everything that is stolen just straight out of the movie it's very ikuhara yeah like we saw a lot of that on the um the one show that he did that i have seen all of which was uh penguin drum Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's definitely like There's that. also the fact that their outfits are exactly the same style. They're going into they they do all I mean, of that. It's a Takarazuka thing, I think. The the main uh the main character her sword even looks like Utena's sword. Like it's it's they're not even trying to hide it. They they it's definitely that it's got that Utena homage. So You got to strike a like button off of the chest of your opponent. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it's You're the exact same cape. rules too. Yeah, you got to you got to strike the button off, so it um it was definitely interesting. It was it, I I would say it was really dark horsey this season because I was not expecting it, and and I watched episode one and I was like, well, I'm sticking with this the whole way through. This is my kind of show. So, uh, yeah, I guess um each each girl each episode they try and have like two different girls collide for some sort of ideal. Uh, eventually they they lead you through this idea that. Uh, the review is sort of a ranking system where at the very end, like, they introduce kind of midway through that you're supposed to be fighting for the shine, which is this thing they keep repeating over and over again after that point about, like... A, quantifi a quantifiable amount of, like, stage presence, Yeah, if you lose your shine, you really just lose the ability huh. to perform on the stage, you lose your passion for performance... 
Um, so did, that did that any of these competitions impact like the real world, or is it all pretty much no at all? Like that's the thing. Like that they, get these, me. they get these they get these notifications on their phone that you got to go down under into the like yeah. The there, there's a spinning giraffe icon that shows up on your phone. The stage presence there. They're fighting over this shine thing. Like, does it follow them back to the real no, world? It... Like, why do they want it? No, they all they all have it, which is why they're competing. But, but which one has the most? It's like she who will rise to the top of the stage. Think it like think of it like being the prima ballerina, Scott. You're you're trying to be the ultimate on the stage. She who is number one. Okay, so there's the there's no real star. benefit other than being the best in this imaginary space. Oh, but there's a, a reward. Space. Yeah, there's there's a reward. So hold on, hold on. Ah, now we're now we're getting somewhere. somewhere. So you end up learning later on, like whenever you you win, you you get the giraffe sort of grants you a wish per se. I mean, how would you describe it, Brendan? You get to choose the stage your stage that complements you. That's that's really what it's supposed to be about. And each battle is kind of staged, no pun intended, to to mean something to the girl who is battling for it. So let's just take the first one. The first girl you meet is Juna. So Juna, who battles, ends up in this arena that has like a bunch of gigantic mirrors everywhere. It's it's sort of a reflection of how she sees herself and how she sees herself against others. So like all these mirrors are just popping out of every which direction and that's her stage. Another girl like really, really wants to be with Karen forever and doesn't like the fact that Hikari is back stealing her affection. So she kind of, her whole thing works like a children's book. She's like, you're stealing like that innocent, wonderful time that I remember and is mine. So... Each stage, like each girl fights on a different stage, and there's a different song that complements complements each girl Ooh, nice. in their battle for sort of emotional peace and things like that. So it's not always like the shine that's really being taken or things of that stage. It's really about sometimes it's just about like emotional battles and emotional like reconciliation, I think. Like some of the girls come out of the review different than when they went in just emotionally calmer or they come out kind of messed up like nana daiba <laughs> who who has favorite character yeah she definitely uh. has the most interesting stage and and the stage has got like the stage you stand on can do anything because uh, actually daiba's arc introduces us a really neat idea that you can loop time so the the stage can be anything huh you see, here's the deal with this particular show. I know that you guys both, you know, seem to enjoy it quite a bit. I, if this show frustrated me, I don't think it was a bad show by any stretch of the imagination. But for me, it just falls into this valley where it's so close to being like Utena, something that I love. And it's very obvious that this is there, that they have aspirations to be like that show. Like, the the visual language is so similar. The music choices, in some cases, are very similar. The the uh, the fashion involved. Their arena, like, we don't have an upside-down castle. We got the friggin' Tokyo Tower. Like which is also upside-down. Which is also, cases. at one point, upside-down, yes. And they've got all of that, and they have this huge ensemble cast. But the problem is, is that... Utna had stakes. Like, every single individual was working out their issues, but these people were all deeply flawed in some unique and, like, yeah, overly dramatic, but still understandable way. These girls, none of them have the kind of problems that seem like they would require a duel of the fates kind of angle 
in order to resolve like oh i'm sad that because i because that i work really hard but i never seem to be as good as the you know prima donnas over here or like another one of the girls is like overly is like super spoiled and everything and is finally running into uh more of a challenge than she can overcome just coasting on her own abilities and that episode did frustrate me more than any of the other ones. Well, she was also the worst character, like, hands down. Um, but Kaoroko! Uh, <laughs> yeah, just so annoying. Um, but there was the fact that, yeah, there was just, there was no stakes, really. Like, they introduced the whole concept of, like, Shine being stolen from the girls that lose, but then they never really bring that back until the very end, and... They only bring it up at the very end. They bring it up in the mid- well, mid- midway yeah, when uh, we learn more about Hi- Hikari's backstory and the fact that they're apparently doing this overseas in London, too. So, again, it's suggesting this bigger universe that they're never going to get into. The main problem, though, is the show, for me, was the casting. They got nine girls that they need to get through, sometimes two at a time, but usually one at a time. And they've only got 13 episodes to work with. These guys overscoped dramatically. And so the girls all feel super shallow. Like, the only ones that I think get any significant depth, um, Nana, kind of, uh, I would say. She, she got least, two episodes. She got two episodes to work with, which was cool. But the ones that we sort of follow regularly, we kind of keep checking in on, are um, the two top girls in the school. Basically, the two, the two best... Uh, stars maya and claudine and they at least have some chemistry you know one's always playing second fiddle to the other one there's a lot of jealousy and back and forth and like you know sort of challenging each other to get better or to stay on top and they actually have a really kind of interesting relationship when you compare that to say you know karen and um hikari they just don't have that they are they are ciphers they are blank slates they are they are anime main character placeholders and that just killed it for me. I could not care what happened to them. And the fact that they kept changing, it, it felt like they kept changing around the rules of how this whole thing worked and how much of this was supposed to be real and how much of this was supposed to be just metaphorical. It just irked me. They didn't have enough time to establish their rules and their characters well enough for all of this high drama and other stuff to work in my eyes and it felt pretentious because of it and i i hate saying that because there are some there's some really good visuals in this there's some really good style the music is excellent though i really do wish that they would learn to it's like either the girls are always singing or it's background noise don't try to make it both because then they'll be talking over the song they're also supposed to be singing that was weird. Oh, no. That was weird. Yeah, at certain points they were singing, and at certain points the song would just continue to play for them. Right. While they were talking. Yeah, while exactly. they were talking, was... yes, yes. Uh... <laughs> and it's like, okay, just pick one or the other, guys. That's a super minor point, but I've noticed it happening in a bunch of these things. Like, um, uh, Symphogear does this as well. As well. Symphogear it, does do it as well. It, and true. it's just like, it's a, it's a thing that irks me every time it comes up. So it's just sort of a, just an extra little twist. And again, I... I don't hate this show. I I know I've been harping on it, but I don't hate it. I just, I see so much more potential in it than it actually realized, and that's what bugs me. Mm. But uh, that actually brings me to a point I would like to uh, consider, possibly in the future, doing a deeper uh, dive on this, because I know that, Sue, both you and I are very familiar with Utna. It was a big thing for both of us, and because it's such a 
close relative to this show, I'd like to do some kind of a compare and contrast thing at some point. So perhaps Ooh. we can uh, look into doing that in the future. For now, though, again, I won't say this is a terrible show. You may enjoy it more than I did, but there's some serious flaws in it that at least for a fan of that earlier show might put you off. Those are all, yeah, they're, they're fair points. I think the the biggest struggle you probably had was going in, seeing the Utna motif, and then only comparing it to, to Utna in your head. But, you know, that that can be saved for another time. I think some of the rules are subjective. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd be interested in hearing Brendan's take, too, on some of the metaphors, because I don't know if we'd line up, but... That's very true. It's... Every... every girl is is fighting for something that definitely is not as high stakes as Utna, but performing on a stage is not as high stakes as what was going on in Utna dramatically either. So yeah, it's it's certainly not Utna. It's very important to to go in understanding it's not going to achieve that level of greatness. Most most certainly. And on top of that, you know, with only thirteen episodes to work with, there's just no way that you can get in as deep as that show got. No, certainly. Was it thirteen or twelve? Uh, twelve. I forgot oh, no, already. you're right. Was, I, no, it was. Was it twelve? Was it thirteen? Uh, I think it was whichever. twelve. <laughs> yeah. So even less. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So and a a very worthwhile show for discussion at the very least. Yeah, undeniably, anyway. Dark Horse. I love the Eds, like, and then like the Eds of the banana episodes were, uh, or. Like even better because like they did the silent one when she gets like first gets introduced and then like as part of uh, as like the the capstone of her arc is that they actually move to the next verse. Oh yeah, on the uh um like the one where she gets wrapped up. It was amazing. That was pretty oh, cool. They Diba do... baby Diba. They do Diba have some Nana. really neat stuff. Neat stuff. <laughs> it's just in the there. best pun name. Uh, I, mm, again, I think we may have to agree to disagree on that. Yeah, we'll, so. we'll, uh, we'll have to get into I'm all about her pun name, too. I love it. Ultimate banana. So Ugh. I guess just, just the last note to kind of end this show. I mean, uh, we talked about beach volleyball really quick. The the homoerotic, not even undertones, okay? The overtones of this show are, are everywhere. <laughs> so uh, that it's definitely got that motif going on. I give it minor credit minus the fact that my my poor husband just kept screaming and now they're gonna kiss and i was like no honey, <laughs> no they're not um but anyway aside from them not actually like, consummating in a physical gesture because that's not japan's thing i think these girls are like all but established so for many of them so i'll, I'll at least give it credit for going as far as japan is probably willing to go with that Oi. Well, I think that about wraps it up for now. We went on a little long about that about that particular one, but again, passions were inflamed. So uh, we'll uh, we'll hopefully discuss that in greater depth in the future. You have to battle on your own stage. Exactly. The stage of fate. <laughs> but for now, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, the the summer season of 2018, and we will be back in a little while with the fall season. Take care. Bye now. Bye. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.